bodies seem mysterious. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to musculoskeletal anatomy, the basics that massage therapists learn, it's very, very simple to learn how to work on yourself and just pinpoint certain muscles to then think about how do I apply pressure to it in some way that makes it feel better or how do I lengthen it and breathe to make it feel better. Welcome to the Wellness Plus Podcast. Featuring interviews with health and wellness professionals empowering you to take control of your health and happiness. Feel better, look better, and live better today by subscribing right now for new episodes every week. The Wellness Plus Podcast is brought to you by wellnessplus.tv and made possible by the generous donations of Psyche Truth Patreon supporters. Now here's your host, Certified Holistic Health Coach, Karina Rachel. Hello and welcome to the Wellness Plus Podcast. I'm your host, Karina Rachel, and I'm joined today by Robert Gardner. He's a massage therapist and yoga instructor. Robert, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you for having me again. Definitely. So I know all of us would love to get weekly massages and be able to always make it to yoga class, but I know that so many of our listeners, and myself included, we're strapped for time, we're strapped for cash. So I'm just curious, you know, are there effective and easy things that people can do for themselves to relieve pain, relieve stress, uh, kind of part of a self-care regimen, so to speak? Sure. I think that yoga and massage are much more diverse than many people realize. And if you learn just a little, you can work on yourself, which is which means literally if you have five minutes, you can do yoga. If you have five minutes, you can massage yourself. If you're not even using your hands, you can find tools like tennis balls, things to work on yourself. It's very easy. And part of my long term curriculum, even for massage therapists, is actually teaching them how to teach their clients to work on themselves. Mm -hmm. There's a, a huge gap, I think, in education. Yeah. And I think that that really touches on a very uh, realistic point, which is that what do you do when you get a neck ache between your massage sessions? You know, even if you are able to have regular massage therapy and attend regular yoga classes, uh, we still are inevitably going to end up with that back pain or crick in the neck or whatever it is. Um, So what do you think is, you know, um, a good effective thing that people can do for themselves at home. So it really depends on where people are having problems. When people think about back pain, and I just take back pain because it's a big, broad topic, subject people would have issues with, along your spine, which includes your entire back and your neck, on either side of your spine, you have muscles called paraspinals. If you have a problem with any part of your back, it is generally safe, even if you've had fusions, you know, lap, lap, what do they call it, laponectomy? I forget what they call it, where they go in and cut up pieces of disc or, you mm. know, do surgeries. Mm-hmm. Things that, um, you know, cause a lot of pain, but that's a, a more extreme issue. What I'm saying is somebody with those issues or just somebody with back pain, myself included, I do this. You take a tennis ball, you put it on one side of your spine, you lay down on it. Mm-hmm. It's safe in your neck. It's safe in your back. It's safe in your low back. You're just using that tennis ball to apply pressure, just like it's a massage therapist's elbow. Mm-hmm. That is very easy for someone to do and the people who do that regularly make better massage clients because they already know where their tension is Mm -hmm. they're more likely to come into me and explain to me hey i'm having problems in my low back it seems to be right in here right yeah 
Right. So not only do they have more of that body awareness from having worked on themselves, but then it's also probably more likely that they're going to have less tension and less, you know, muscular tightness than somebody who hasn't been working on themselves between sessions. Yes. So if someone comes into me and says, I'm eight out of 10 on a pain scale, 10 the hospital. Mm. If I can show them how to work on themselves so that we can keep them at a six or a five or lower, their quality of life is better. Mm. Now, when they come in for a session and they're at a five, then we're working on bringing them to a three. But I would rather people not be in pain. Right. Yeah. Anything I can do to help empower people is better, in my opinion. And it's a, a loftier goal. You know, I'm making a podcast with you. People can't even necessarily see me on video. But if I can impart information to people that allows them to not be in pain, mm -hmm. then I'm doing a much larger service and education than I am in just sticking my elbow in someone's back and helping that one person. Right. And we, of course, do have the video versions of the podcasts available on wellnessplus.tv, um, along with a lot of different videos you've made over the years, um, teaching people how to do this kind of self-care, be it stretching or self-massage using a foam roller or tennis ball. I think that we've kind of um, looked at a lot of different potential props that people can use. Um, so clearly there's lots of video content that you've produced um, to teach people how to do this work on themselves. And I think it's really interesting that as a massage therapist, you have this very... Um, you know, incredibly educational uh, intention. So it's not like you're trying to withhold this information to keep people in pain and keep them coming back. Um, I love that you're actually coming from this situation that I want to help you when you come into your session, but I also want to give you tools and tips that you can use when you go home to help these pain relieving effects last longer uh, to help you out when that pain inevitably comes back from our stressful lives and our posture and all those different pieces. Um, so what would be the next uh, tip for people? You know, what is something that people can reference maybe as a guide for how to work on themselves um, in addition to the videos that you've made? When I talked about the spine, and we'll keep it to back pain just because it's very succinct, mm -hmm. um, when we talk about paraspinal muscles, you'll notice that I didn't mention a specific muscle because from the tip of your tailbone up uh, to the base of your skull, very complex musculature. It overlaps. Mm -hmm. There's tons of just little small muscles. Mm -hmm. Let's say you found a spot in your low back, and you're laying on a tennis ball. It's on your right side. And then you go, ooh, this is really tight. What you do is you go to Google. You look up low back muscle anatomy. You look at a chart and try to figure out what muscle is that. Mm. When, if you find the muscle's origin and insertion, what that means is where does the muscle start and where does the muscle go? Usually distally, meaning like out from the spine. Mm -hmm. You know, when you, when you lengthen that muscle, when you stretch that muscle like you're in a yoga class, what muscle is that? The more people know about the basics of muscular and skeletal anatomy, mm. They're more likely to be able to point out what the issue is to me very succinctly so that we can get to work on whatever the issue is. Right. But once they've got some knowledge of that specific muscle, nine times out of ten people will start to go, oh, 
You know, I didn't realize when I'm in my car, I put my wallet on my right keister mm -hmm. and it's hiking up my side. And I wonder if that's why that muscle is shortened. Uh, little little things like that. Yeah. They'll start to notice that they're doing things in their daily life when they're not aware of it. Mm -hmm. That's causing some muscle tightness because of repetitive strain patterns for whatever activity they're engaging in. Mm -hmm. Teaching people a little bit about how to reduce their pain, teaching them just the basics, it's not complex, of musculoskeletal anatomy goes a long way to helping them figure out how to reduce their pain. And what it really does is it increases quality of life. Yeah, it doesn't, you know, it's like Karina's is Karina, whether she's at an eight or a four. Mm -hmm. we, we prefer Karina at a four or lower. Much more pleasant. Yes. <laughs> Much yeah. more pleasant. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, it's very cool that you're kind of pointing out how beneficial um, just this awareness of our body is. And clearly, um, you can think about, you know, yoga. There's a big kind of body awareness piece. Um, but certainly when it comes to pain, you know, for people to be able to understand, like you're saying, even a little bit, obviously you don't need to know all the muscles because there's a lot of them, but to even just have a general understanding um, of the body and then being able to, to look at that anatomy and kind of say, oh yeah, that right there. Because I know for me, when I'm in pain, if I look at, uh, at an anatomy chart or something, I'll typically be able to point like exactly, oh, that's where it's coming from. Um, and you're so right. If you're actually looking at those different charts, you can even see which muscle it is. You can see what it's connecting to. Um, and just from that increased awareness of what's going on within our body, it really starts to shed a light so much on um, things we can do to potentially help it. So noticing, oh, well, you know, this muscle in my low back is attached to my hamstring. So maybe if I stretch my hamstrings, I can help this out. Um, but then also, maybe even more importantly, starting to bring awareness into our daily lives and those repetitive motions that we get stuck in. Uh, as I know, I definitely recognize in myself, um, I'll tend to uh, kind of shift my weight a certain way when I'm driving or I'll like lean on my right side. Um, Everything from the way that we walk, the way that we sit, uh, those repetitive motions that we're doing every single day, when we can start to notice them and then maybe even notice, oh, wow, maybe that's why I have this recurring pain in my shoulder or whatever, um, really can uh, be the building blocks for resolving those issues and then preventing that pain in the first place, which I think is really uh, the ideal scene when it comes to helping somebody stay on that low end of the pain scale, preventing them from actually getting into, you know, that uh, muscle tightness or limited flexibility that, you know, gets them into the seven or eight range on the pain scale. As a massage therapist, I work on um, a lot of clients in chronic pain. That's more my specialty. When I have a client who's come to me for chronic pain and we've done three or four sessions and then they come in and they go, well, like say, what's the issue today? And they're like, oh, it's really mostly better. It's just kind of relaxation today. For me, that's a relief because mm -hmm. I know that they're nearing the end of their journey with me. They're going to be able to go just get a massage with someone else because we've dealt with those primary, you know, chronic pain issues. Mm -hmm. For other therapists, they, you know, kind of have a bread and butter practice out of relaxation. But for me, dealing with chronic pain, I know how deleterious it is and how disruptive it is to people's lives and relationships. So 
I think maybe that's also why I've had a little bit more focus on education because I think there's a dearth of it mm-hmm. um, in the community at large. Bodies seem, unlike cars, you know, you can't change out parts. Bodies seem mysterious. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to musculoskeletal anatomy, the basics that massage therapists learn, it's very, very simple to learn how to work on yourself and just pinpoint certain muscles to then think about how do I apply pressure to it in some way that makes it feel better or how do I lengthen it and breathe to make it feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the kind of recurring things that has uh, come up in a variety of different videos you've made um, is trigger points. So I'm just wondering if you can talk a little bit about what a trigger point is um, and maybe if there are ways that people can um, work on trigger points to provide themselves some relief. So trigger points are um, an item of debate in the massage community. You'll know that I often talk about pain science in very uh, calm ways without reading research studies. And part of the debate that I've seen recently is people will say things on massage forums like trigger points don't exist. What they're saying is the scientific explanation for referred pain is not what we thought it was. However, referred pain patterns are extremely common, which is what most people would call trigger points. I still use it daily in my practice. And when I work on you, Karina, when we have a shoot sometimes and you say, oh, I feel stuff in my back, I already have an idea of what I'm going to be working on just because we've worked together previously. In most cases, part of the difference is, let's say I had a problem with the inside of my forearm. I could feel pain on the inside of my forearm and notice that if I pressed in some form on the inside of my forearm, that localized pain under that spot I'm pressing on went away. What some people will get is I can press on my forearm and people will feel it down in their hand and wrist. That's more a trigger point. When I think of trigger points, nine times out of ten, it's referred pain. And sometimes the really bad situations are when the pain is coming from an area that is completely different than where the person feels pain. Mm -hmm. That's where I got to play Sherlock Holmes and become a really good body worker because people would come in with stuff And they'd say, I'll give you a quick example. They'd say, I have pain in my feet. I would work on their feet, do a couple sessions, go, there's nothing wrong with your feet. Something else is going on. Mm -hmm. And come to find out, it was actually their tibialis anterior, which is a muscle along your shin. If it's on your right leg, it's on the right side of the shin in the front. That muscle was essentially pulling on that lady's tarsal bones Mm -hmm. out of position, making muscles in her feet over work. When I released tibialis anterior, the bulk of it went away. For her, that's magic. Yeah. Because she said chronic pain. She's like, I thought the problem was with my feet. And it's like, well, it sort of was, but the problem was actually coming from your lower leg. Mm -hmm. That's a classic example of like a referred pain pattern, which most people would call trigger points. You can look up trigger point videos online or trigger point based websites. You can find charts on Google that'll show referred pain patterns. So you can look at like, say, a map of the shoulder. And it'll break down what muscles may be causing that shoulder pain. And you can systematically work through those, say, using a tennis ball. Okay. So I would imagine that 
you know, that would be kind of confusing for someone. You know, they come in, they're feeling the pain in one area of the body. But then after working on them, you reveal that, oh, well, actually the cause of that pain was, you know, maybe somewhere, somewhere else sort of related. Mm-hmm. Uh, but maybe sometimes it doesn't, you know, seem to make as much sense. When people have... Um Shoulder pain. Shoulder pain is a very common one. The shoulder joint is very complex. When people have shoulder pain, I'll ask them, where do you feel it in your shoulder? Mm -hmm. If they use a single finger and point right at the front of the shoulder joint, nine times out of ten, I'm going to go into their neck and press on some muscles in their neck. Initially, they're confused, but once I hit the spot in their anterior scalene, I say right there. And if that is, in fact, the problem, they are like, oh, my, I had, yeah, I, I feel that in my arm and my shoulder from that one spot that's been bothering me. They'll sit there, and if they weren't working with me, they will rub their shoulder mm-hmm. trying to get it to go away. The problem is it's not in their shoulder. They're essentially having referred pain probably from their anterior scalene pressing on a nerve trunk that goes down their arm. Mm-hmm. Those sorts of things are what take a massage therapist to the point where they're being a mechanic. Mm-hmm. You know, they're working on people with issues. I've, I've seen clients that have dealt with chiropractors, physical therapists that come in. They say, hey, I'm having shoulder pain. They point to that spot. And in two seconds, I walk in and jab a thumb in their neck. And they're like, oh, my God, how did you know that? And I'll say, well, I'm a mechanic. I've been working on bodies a long time. <laughs> then they start to say, why did my PT, chiropractor, whoever, and then I'm, I basically go silent so as not to offend chiropractors and PTs because I don't know what they're doing based on their training sometimes when I see issues that I think are primarily musculoskeletal based. In other words, muscles and having nerve challenges because of tight muscles that are causing pain. I've just gotten good at picking out those pain patterns and then figuring out what muscles are causing that dysfunction. Interesting. So would you say that, um, you know, the presence of these trigger points or referred pain patterns, is that pretty consistent from person to person? Like it sounds like from working on people, You've able you've been able to kind of uh, discover that a common trigger point for that front shoulder tension is yeah. actually in the back of the neck. Yeah. So it's pretty replicable from person to person. It is for the most part. Um, it's challenging to convey even to students who are massage therapists working with me exactly how it functions. There are some variants person to person. People's bodies are shaped differently. But when you look at bones, most people have the same set of bones. Mm-hmm. They're shaped slightly differently, but it's relatively the same. Muscles are the same way. The reason surgeons can do surgery is because relatively from body to body, it's relatively the same, barring a few you know, exceptions. So referred pain patterns, okay, what most people would call trigger points. I'm just questioning the science behind it, okay? They do repeat again and again and again. Mm-hmm. The reason people think it's magic. I can be with somebody at a dinner party. They'll say, oh, I have pain here. And I go, where? And they're like, oh, it, it's um, it's um, in the back, kind of like in my buttock. But then it's like running down the back of my leg. And I'm like, oh, it's their piriformis. The reason I know that is because I've worked on it so many times. I know that their piriformis is somehow pressing on a nerve 
and it's running down the back of their leg. Nine times out of ten, they don't have sciatica. They just have some referred pain. But the pain can be so intense in some instances, it feels like the person is having a full-blown medical episode, like it's a medical emergency. But the real issue is tight muscle. The tight muscle is somehow innervating a nerve, sending that pain down the leg. People are amazed when it does work. And there are cases where, for instance, I had a guy come in and see me. He's got that same referred pain pattern down his leg. When he saw me, he reduced in pain from about an eight to a six, which I'm happy with. Mm -hmm. Two days later, he said it came right back. He went to a doctor, had some MRIs or CAT scans done, and sure enough, he has a lumbar disc that is ruptured. It's pressing on his sciatic nerve. Mm. I can't do anything about that because his problem isn't primarily musculoskeletal based. It's based on he's actually having something he would need surgery or some sort of rehab for. It's not just soft tissue. But I see people in huge amounts of chronic pain. I mean, medical grade, like people who think they need surgery that cannot believe that soft tissue manipulation, what most people think of as massage, would be the answer for that. The podcast you are listening to was brought to you by wellnessplus.tv, a subscription service empowering you with everything you need to take control of your health and happiness. Sign up for your free trial today to watch the video version of this episode and all our podcast episodes. Plus, you'll gain access to our extensive library, including hundreds of follow-along yoga and fitness courses, massage therapy tutorials, weight loss information, guided meditations, educational health videos, and so much more. Feel better, look better, and live better today by visiting wellnessplus.tv. And so is there um, something that you can recommend that people can do for themselves, um, kind of like using these trigger points as a guide? Yeah. Um, I think if I had to choose like some key areas, we talked about if you have back pain, you're using a tennis ball on one side. If that tennis ball is too firm, if it's too sharp, if it's too pointy, you can fold a towel or a rag over it. You can work on either side of your spine slowly. Just lay down, like say in the area you're having discomfort, and see if it helps relieve some of that discomfort. As you have more awareness of the muscles along your spine, you can move the ball higher, lower. You can roll just a little bit up and down if it feels good to you, like a massage, like it's getting it to release. That's one key area. The other key areas I can think of are taking the tennis ball and putting it into your gluteals, which means on, into your buttock, d- dead square center. If you're having pain down the back of your leg and you know you don't have a herniated disc, you don't have some other issues, if you have pain running down the back of your leg nine times out of ten, the most effective thing you can do is use a tennis ball, put it square in the keister on that side, stack body weight, and then start to move your leg around and see if you can access that muscle and get piriformis, piriformis syndrome. Piriformis means pear-shaped in Latin. It's just a muscle deep in your keister. That's the second area. The third that I can think of is maybe at the base of the skull. 
the base of the skull where people have headaches, they have their suboccipitals, just a group of muscles that connect to the base of the skull from like your atlas and axillus, um, your top two cervical vertebra. It's easy to just gently lay down on a tennis ball, put a little pressure there. You can move your head side to side. No real danger for most people. It's relatively safe. I have no concerns about mentioning that to people and saying they can do that. It's relatively safe for the bulk of the population. Mm-hmm. People don't realize what they can do to help themselves. If you find an area that is then tense, like the three that we just talked about, along your spine, base of the skull, deep in your keister, those are three main areas people will have problems with. Just go look up the anatomy of that area, the muscular and skeletal anatomy, to get a basic understanding of what may be going on and what muscles seem to be tight. And then what would be another, um, you know, common place or easy place for people to work on their own trigger points? The one that I see that I think even massage therapists miss is the back of the shoulder blade and the rotator cuff. Mm. There is one particular muscle called infraspinatus. Okay. Now, if you take a shoulder blade, you've got a spine on your shoulder blade. If you reach up and over from one arm to the other, you'll feel on the top of the shoulder blade, there's this little ridge. Mm-hmm. So supra means above, there's a supraspinatus muscle, but infra is below the spine of the scapula. Infraspinatus, like infrared on the spectrum, it's below the red on the light spectrum. Infraspinatus, if I reach under my armpit and back and around, it's right in the back of the shoulder blade. It's really what I tell people sometimes is one of those stewing muscles. If I was going to cook you, it's something I have to cook in water so that the meat falls off the bone. It's right on the shoulder blade. Mm. People have notorious problems with their arms and shoulders that are related to the rotator cuff that I find most massage therapists will almost nearly completely skip. Um, I don't think they're taught it as well in school. And a lot of people who are having shoulder or arm pain are having problems with the rotator cuff. Fortunately, infraspinatus, because it's in the back, it's an easy spot to put down a tennis ball, lay down on the muscle. You gently move your arm around. You can prop your arm with a pillow, do some breathing exercises. It can be inordinately tender. It's one area that I had a very specific uh, issue with. It was one of the first muscles I found on myself that had a true referred pain pattern where um, people will feel it in the front of their shoulder and for spinatus specifically, if they're having bad problems. Um, If you ask them if they have shoulder pain, we talked about the anterior scalene where they point at the shoulder with a finger. Mm -hmm. When it's infraspinatus, they use their whole palm and go right here. It's almost like the armpit in the front, and they'll go from the shoulder down. Mm -hmm. That referred pain pattern, nine times out of ten, is infraspinatus. It's in the back of the shoulder blade. It's one of the rotator cuff muscles people are having problems with. Even if you don't have pain, most people are still using infraspinatus when they type when they hold a steering wheel, when they reach Mm -hmm. out to do dishes, the muscle gets chronically overused and tight. Most massage therapists won't work on it. If you use a tennis ball five, 10 minutes on either side and get up, move your arms around, you're going to have increased mobility. You would be very surprised at how tight and sort of restricted that muscle is. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that you mentioned that uh, the rotator cuff of the shoulder um, is not often worked on by massage therapists because clearly 
tense shoulders is one of the most common things. Um, I hear so many people talk about, oh, I've got a knot, um, you know, like right behind my shoulder blade or whatever. Um, do you think that, you know, maybe part of the reason that, that you feel so comfortable moving into that area and really understand the importance of it is your background in yoga, where there's a lot of emphasis on mobility and, you know, really looking at all of the different ways that the body should be able to move? The, the, the connection between the two for me kind of fades into the background because it's hard to think about what my life was like when I didn't know those things. Mm. What I do think is many of the massage therapists that I've worked with, the most adept massage therapists seem to have also, in addition to being licensed and going through school, mm -hmm. they also seem to have some sort of movement practice. They're martial artists, dancers, they lift weights, they do CrossFit. Um, people who have some sort of movement-based background, in my case, it happens to be yoga and yoga teaching, they seem to have a better sense of awareness of the body outside of just what they learned in school. Mm. Um, range of motion and dealing with pain, I just find that massage therapists who have some sort of movement practice seem to have a slightly higher level of skill in my experience, and that's working as an educator for I don't know, 10 plus years as well. Like I've seen it again and again. The students who come to me who are Pilates instructors, they're massage therapists, but they're also Pilates instructors. They look at what I'm doing and teaching and they start putting the pieces together and they're adding their, their element of Pilates. They're going, oh, because they can see me, you know, grappling with the sections that I'm aware of. But I don't know as much, for instance, um, about what I would consider therapeutic exercise. Mm. I'm really good at loosening tight muscles. I don't know how to tell you to strengthen muscles to sort of stabilize a joint, for instance. Right. Yeah. In addition to, you know, doing yoga, the reason I got into massage and yoga is because I had a lot of pain. Mm -hmm. The reason I'm a really good mechanic is because I had a lot of pain. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, I've had to work on myself. And for me, when you came to me, even if you, Karina, came to me for a massage and you'd say, hey, I'm just here to relax. I never gave a single session where I didn't also go, oh, right here in a rotator. Yeah, <laughs> right here. Let's work on this. Even when we shoot videos for Psyche Truth and you say, hey, let's you know, shoot a low back video, I'm working on you. It's on camera, but I'm still working on you trying to get something done. I don't know how to do it otherwise. Nine times out of ten, even massage therapists, people in body arts communities, I'm usually just recommending that to increase and expand their awareness they maintain some sort of physical activity. You know, if they do Brazilian jiu-jitsu, you know, why don't they go try yoga? Right. They do something different than what they're used to. Um, I'm not much of a dancer, for instance, and that's one of my it's one of my potential goals, I think, is like can I eventually go take some dance classes to use my body in a way I'm not used to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well and I think that you know it's interesting that you point that out that um, sometimes, you know, even people come to you and they're like, oh, I'm really not having pain, just here to relax, whatever. You start working on them and you become aware of, wow, this muscle is clearly really tight or you're finding issues here. And I think it just kind of um, is a great time to, you know, throw in that reminder that 
that pain is an important message from your body. And it's also kind of like the last resort, right? So at the point that you actually start feeling pain, that problem or that issue has already existed for a long time, right? And then um, basically once you're waiting for the message from your body in, in the form of pain, well, now you know you've already been kind of persisting in that, whether it's um, a muscle that's tight or something that's, you know, come out of alignment a little bit, that that problem has already been there for a long time. And the pain is just the signal of your body saying, hey, it's it's getting to super urgent mode. Now you really need to handle mm-hmm. this. It seems odd to me that people wouldn't know this, but I think it's one of the challenges as a massage therapist when we're putting out information for people to understand, listen, you can be 8 out of 10 on a pain scale. Much higher than that, you're ready to go to the hospital. Mm -hmm. 10 is the hospital. That 8 can be all musculoskeletal. That means if I put a trusty elbow in the right spot and hang out there and have you breathe... Those muscles go, oh, hey, hmm. your nervous system unwinds, you calm down, and your pain, your pain drops from like an eight to a four. Mm-hmm. To clients, it's magic. How did you know that? Mm-hmm. All I'm doing, much like a mechanic, is is like saying, oh, well, I think it's the spark plugs. And in my case, I'm putting pressure on the spark plug, maintaining some pressure with my elbow, having you breathe through it. And then that muscle, because of your nerves, lets go, relaxes. There's no more pain. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing as if I gave you a dumbbell, had you do a curl. You'd come in and hold your bicep on your arm and say, my arm hurts. My whole job is to get you to let go of the dumbbell and straighten your arm. Mm -hmm. When I get you to do that effectively and quickly, I'm a genius. You're like, wow, Robert is a miracle worker. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you just had a, you know, you just had a tight muscle, right? Mm -hmm. It's stuff that massage therapists deal with every day. A big part of the reason I'm um, focused in education is I don't think that people have to go just to get what they think of as an expensive massage to be able to get those benefits. Mm -hmm. They can do some of it themselves. There's something to be said about having someone else work on you, but what what about when it's not in, in your time or your budget? Right. Yeah. Just giving people education and information. I'm a big fan of people not being afraid of their bodies. Why people go to an eight on a pain scale and not do or not listen to their body or not listen to the fact that that's going on is mm-hmm. completely beyond me. But I've been a massage therapist for 16 years now. So, right. yeah. So, you know, going back to that analogy of, you know, you're sitting there, you're holding a dumbbell, you're, you know, quenching really tight. You're going, oh, man, why does my arm hurt so bad? <laughs> you know, how much of our pain is actually coming from the muscle itself uh, versus how much of the pain is coming from our uh, brain and nervous system telling that muscle to clench and tighten. So this is where the pain science community gets interesting to me because when I discuss it, you know, coming from your bicep, technically it's coming from nerves and subcutaneous nerves that are rolling back to your brain and spinal cord. Mm-hmm. When I'm pressing on your bicep, I'm communicating with your nervous system. 
But if I get to the point where I'm telling the client, oh, I'm not really working on your bicep, I'm really working on your brain and spinal cord, that doesn't really help me with my business or my marketing, even though it's more scientifically correct. Make mm -hmm. sense? When people feel pain in an area, our natural instinct, like if I hit my arm, is to go and like rub that area. Right. Massage is just a manifestation of that. Without making the conversation overly complex, all of it within yoga nerves all of it within massage nerves meaning your nervous system meaning your brain and spinal cord that's what it all goes back to fundamentally but i don't want to make it overly complex you can have some conversations with people in the pain science community and they will literally say that all we do is stretch skin They're like no i don't really work on your bicep i just interact with your skin to access your nervous system that may be scientifically correct, and I think according to research studies, I think it is, but I don't tell my clients I'm not working on their bicep. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. There's a distinction there that comes from the ethics of like marketing and packaging and how you deal with stuff. People come to us for massage. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't say, well, I'm a nervous system therapist. <laughs> well, and I think it's a very kind of, uh, you know, which came first, the chicken or the egg yeah. scenario, because... You know, once a certain area of the body, let's take a com common one like the forearms, the wrists, the hands, which we're constantly overusing um, in pretty repetitive motions most of the time when you think about driving and typing, most of us are doing these things for pretty long periods of time. So a muscle in the forearm maybe starts to feel tense and then your nervous system almost um, just magnifies and perpetuates that tension by like sending more messages to that muscle to tense up and try to protect itself. Um, so it's almost like, uh, you know, you talk a lot about, you know, I'm going to apply pressure and then encourage the person to breathe into that tight spot. And I'm thinking, well, that's something that, you know, people could do on their own, you know, like, through the use of self-massage or using a prop like a tennis ball. Essentially, you're bringing your awareness to the location where you're feeling pain, and then through your deep breathing, basically telling your nervous system, hey, let that muscle know that it's okay to relax. Mm -hmm. So there's like, uh, you know, maybe even a, a large component of just how stressed out our nervous system is. Yes. That also is gonna create physical pain in the body. Is that true? People, the line between, you know, we deal with chronic pain, or I do, and then relaxation. There are lots of discussions about this generally. And what people think of is like relaxation massage, effleurage, long flowing strokes with oil. Mm -hmm. You know, is it as good, quote unquote, for chronic pain? And it's like, it depends on the person. If they're completely stressed out to just, you know, they're amped up to, to nine. Mm -hmm. Just giving them a good Swedish massage, it's not deep, you're not using excessive pressure, can make people feel inordinately relaxed and reduce all of their pain. If you do research studies, it shows time and again that people who get massage have a reduction in pain, even if they come in and say, oh, well, I was only like a three on a pain scale. Mm -hmm. They'll reduce by two points on a pain scale pretty consistently is what I've seen in my practice. So it just depends on the person. You know, what's the challenge they're having? 
Some of it, we talked about the biopsychosocial model, some of it is connection. If Karina comes in and gets a session with me, some therapists are in a space where uh, they'll talk about, should the client talk during session? Some clients of mine, I'm, I'm more like their hairdresser. <laughs> They talk. They tell me about their kids and their stress. They talk about their husband and their stress. They talk about, and I don't fight that. I just go, oh, really? What's going on with that? Because it's their session. They've paid for it. Yeah, I don't want to overwhelm them with talk, but are they actually needing connection? And how much more connection could I sell? You and I have had that conversation about the hairdresser. You're dealing with touch. You're dealing with intimacy. You're dealing with connection. Um, what is that quote about a burden shared is lessened yeah. or something like that? It's that same sort of thing. It's like, hey, hey, Karina, I'm having a problem with this. Mm-hmm. Well, when I tell you about it, how would I register on a pain scale after having a good conversation with you? Mm-hmm. Probably less. Mm-hmm. And that, in, in, in the end, always goes back to people can have pain, but do they also have additional pain because they're stressed about their pain. Right. And then it almost creates like a snowball effect where the more stressed they are, um, the more those muscles tighten in an effort to try and protect themselves. And then they're feeling more pain and that increases their stress. And you can see how this um, really just kind of skyrockets into something that um, inhibits their every, you know, their everyday Mm -hmm. thing, how they interact with people, how do they handle stressful situations People's nervous systems, and it makes me think immediately of like PTSD um, with soldiers. You know, I have a touch, I think, of PTSD from the car accident I was in. Well, occasionally I'll have a a flash. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing. It has nothing to do with my rational mind. My rational mind knows we're not about to be in a car accident. Everything in my limbic brain and the lower brain says, you're about to die. We should tighten up muscles and freak out and elevate our heart rate and have our blood pressure go through the roof. That's what happens when a veteran hears that firecracker going off on the 4th of July. They cannot logically control that in their body. And does massage and body work help people with PTSD deal with stress and stress? I I think so. I don't know exactly how much research has been done, scientifically research studies on that, but their nervous system gets keyed up. Mm -hmm. Um, I've seen, you know, interviews with veterans where it's like, uh, yeah, I kind of woke up and I was standing on the hood of somebody's car threatening them because there is no thinking. There is survival, mm-hmm. and the survival is fight or flight mode. Somebody honked at them at the wrong time on the wrong day, and they lost it. Mm-hmm. It's not that they're a bad person. It's that, that their nervous system you know, is keyed up. What tends to allow people's nervous system to relax and go into rest and rejuvenation mode, into parasympathetic nervous system stimulation is stuff like massage. It's stuff that's relaxing and soothing. Yeah. We'd like to briefly interrupt this interview to remind you that this podcast was made possible by listeners just like you. Become a supporter at patreon.com slash psyche truth, where you can watch the video version of this episode and all our podcast episodes. Plus, you'll gain access to over 500 videos of exclusive content, including premium courses and behind-the-scenes peaks. Help us keep this information free by visiting patreon.com slash psyche truth. 
That's patreon.com slash P-S-Y-C-H-E-T-R-U-T-H. So it almost sounds like if people can uh, calm themselves down through breathing deeply, uh, meditation, whatever it's going to take to help uh, get into that parasympathetic nervous system, they're going to, or they should immediately notice less physical pain, less physical tension in the body. That generally is the case. The, the, the fear I have when I hear you say that is it's a little bit like having a conversation with a woman and saying, calm down. <laughs> how, how calm do you feel right now, Karina? You're like, oh, you know, the the way that I deal with that is through I'm a massage therapist and yoga teacher. So I'll tell people I teach two main things, uh, breathing and posture. That's it. Now, that's a simplified, you know, explanation, but being able to use physical touch gives me a handle to calm people down. Mm -hmm. Being able to use breathing gives me a handle to calm people down. That's primarily what I'm teaching. I don't want to pathologize and make somebody who's not relaxed feel like they have a problem. It's more a matter of wellness. It's a thing where, okay, I feel good, but could I feel better? Mm-hmm. I can be healthy, but could I be healthier? Right. That's m- m- what it amounts to. It's not even, you know, I'm 8 out of 10 on a pain scale. I'm having chronic, you know, chronic pain issues. Mm-hmm. It just means I'm a stressed out mom. My kids are driving me crazy. How do I yoga? There is a reason yoga is spread all over the United States because it gives people a handle on their nervous system to be able to lower blood pressure, lower heart rate, and induce calm so that you don't want to smack your children around. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I think that, you know, when you were talking about, um, you know, like the limbic system and how our our subconscious responds to the world around us, and so we have our, um, our conscious mind, which is very aware of everything going on and very aware of... Um, the feelings of pain that we're feeling or feelings of stress. Um, so using something like yoga or relaxing massage therapy to uh, just get in touch with the nervous system and help that more like limbic system part, that more emotional uh, subconscious part of the body, get the signal that, hey, it's okay to calm down. There's no tigers around. There's mm-hmm. no bears. It's okay to relax. Because um, you're right. When you're sitting there in, in your kind of, you know, conscious mind and going like, all right, I got to relax. I got to sit here. I got to relax. It's probably like the most unrelaxing thing. I don't really um, <laughs> feel like you can logically think your way to relaxation. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you couldn't, you know, visualize, you know, a mountain stream or whatever, you know, setting on the beach that you find is calm and relaxing. But thinking your way to relaxation is a little bit contrary to my mind. Mm -hmm. The relaxing part of the brain isn't the conscious, rational, logical brain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The fight or flight thing is a lower portion of your nervous system that, you know, lizards have, you know, if I jokingly call it the lizard brain. Um, the way that you access it most directly is breathing. 
because breathing is the part that I can consciously control to access what's essentially the unconscious, the part of the nervous system most people think we have no control over. Right. And, you know, since all of this talking about breathing that we've been doing in, in the previous podcast, I started thinking about it. And I was thinking, you know, from a kind of evolutionary perspective or a survival perspective, you know, the only time that you're actually going to be taking slow, deep breaths is A, either when you actually are really relaxed, um, or B, when you're in a really safe place uh, and you're consciously trying to do your deep breathing or visualization or something. So just that act of conscious, slow, deep breathing is that signal to your subconscious that, hey, there's no threats around here. Because if there was a threat or a bear or a tiger, you wouldn't be breathing slowly and deeply at that time. So just kind of going like, oh, okay, it's like the way for you to uh, consciously engage with your subconscious um, through this really simple thing, which is just taking those slow, deep breaths and getting out of the you know, kind of rushed, shallow breathing that most of us are doing throughout our day. And definitely when we're super stressed or we're sitting in traffic, I'll start noticing, I'm, you know, we kind of huff and we puff. And it's almost like we're hyperventilating mm -hmm. simply through these really rushed, stressful breaths that we're taking. And that in itself signals to your body that that fight or flight response, whether or not there's actually a, a severe threat there or not. We in the modern world have so much access to technology. So if I flip open my phone and I check Facebook and there was a bombing somewhere, what happens to my blood pressure and my heart rate? Skyrockets. And the thing is, that is not something we evolved with. Like, I'm fine. I'm in Austin. That happened somewhere else. Mm. But we're being inundated with those messages all the time. That, to me, is part of the reason that yoga has spread in the West, even if people don't fundamentally understand that is the case. It gives people a handle to be able to be relaxed. Mm -hmm. It's also good to have some stress in your nervous system. It's a normal response. A lot of people will get that stress response in a good way from exercise. It's good to put your body under some tension that is controlled, that you can work with. But on the whole, I really feel like when I work with people in the United States, because I travel and teach around the country, there is a fundamental lack of education, not in massage schools, not in yoga teaching, yoga teacher trainings. Those people understand. I don't feel like the yoga community or the massage community are go doing a great job of educating the general public. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm a massage therapist. I'm a yogi. People don't care. People want to know how does it make my life better? Mm -hmm. And here's the thing. If I teach you what I do, on a regular basis. Here's what the people come back and do. They start to tell me, and this always cracks me up. They start to tell me, it's having like a weird effect on my spiritual life. <laughs> and I laugh because we're changing their nervous system and it's changing how they're interacting with the outside world. We've not done it. We haven't changed the world. We've changed their response to stress. Hmm. And when the wife yells at him or vice versa or whatever, 
he doesn't respond in stress because he's doing yoga regularly now or he's getting massage regularly now. He's responding to the world and his relation to it is changed because of what's going on in his nervous system. That's what he's really saying when he said, it's, it's having some issues in my spiritual life. It's like, oh, you're looking at the world differently because you're not... <laughs> You know, about to have a stroke because you're stressed out all the time. It starts to change people's choices. It changes their behavior. It changes um, what people choose to do with their time. Yeah. So in closing here, you know, we kind of started the conversation talking about um, empowering people to work on themselves. You talked about um, having a tennis ball. Uh, along the paraspinal muscles or, um, you know, the tennis ball right in the kind of meaty part of the glute when you're feeling that low back tension or sciatic sensation of pain going down the arms. Um, what's another common um, area that people can work on for themselves that you think that... I think hands and arms. If we've covered the gluteals, we covered the back and then sort of the base of the skull, I think the arms are fair game just because you can easily use one arm to work on the other mm -hmm. and do so. I see lots of hand and arm pain as a massage therapist. I wind up working on, guess what, massage therapists who are hurting their hands and arms because right. they're using them all day working on clients. There's nothing quite as stressful as working with a massage therapist who is afraid that they're going to stop, going to have to stop working because they're developing the problems they're trying to help clients with. Mm, definitely. So um, are there trigger points in the, in the arms and hands that people should know about? The, the main pieces that I would give people is on the inside of your forearm, you have muscles called your forearm flexors. So if I would curl my hand into a fist and pull my fist up towards the crook of my elbow, I'm shortening my forearm flexors. These are easy to access. Um, access, meaning I could put my arm down on a desk here and use my other forearm to put some pressure at the very base of my forearm, not at the crook of the elbow, but just above, just mm -hmm. distal, like towards the fingers. Right in there, when you start to put pressure, some people will start to feel like their fingers move because the hand is essentially being moved mm -hmm. by some of those muscles, by the shortening of the forearm flexors. There's a whole series of muscles here that we could talk about specific pain patterns, but as a general group, using a forearm forearm or a knee to like step into this is really beneficial for some people and I'll have them put pressure and then start to close and move their hand and they'll start to see the movement that's caused by those muscles or specifically that group of muscles the forearm flexors mm. yeah. yeah one of the things that I um I know that we've done a, a couple of different carpal tunnel videos over the years and sometimes you'll um, be holding a point either like in the forearm or upper arm and then say now move your mouse or now type on your keyboard yeah. and I'll be like whoa I had no <laughs> idea that that muscle you know in a different part of my arm was like clearly being used for that or whatever so I think that's something that you know again people can kind of do at home as they're mm -hmm. playing with this is you know as you're working on yourself and you start to find those areas 
of tension. So they just feel um, not like sharp shooting pain, but you can tell that like there's something going on in that muscle. Uh, one of our yoga teachers calls it uh, confrontational. Maybe you start noticing that this leg is confrontational or something. I think, oh, that's a good way of describing it. Um, that as you're applying pressure to that muscle, you start doing your common uh, repetitive motions, like holding your, even actually right now, I'm just holding this random spot in my arm, and I started holding my yeah. cell phone, and I felt it go, you know, oh, wow, yeah, that muscle is definitely engaged in that movement. Um, but starting to kind of play with um, just building our awareness of our repetitive postures and then as we use either our own hand or a prop or something to work on ourselves, playing with those different repetitive movements and starting to notice, you know, how how they feel and how does that muscle feel when you do the typing on the keyboard motion or the holding a steering wheel motion. The reason for bringing that up, the way I do, you know, typing, move your mouse, is I think those are some of the common, common repetitive motions people are dealing with when they're talking about the forearm extensors, mm -hmm. which is the other side of the forearm. Mm -hmm. when, with that, I'm just putting pressure, having you move your mouse so you can feel those muscles. Most people, when they come in and say, I've had an arm pain, when I say arm pain, I mean like a wrist. Yeah. I'm having wrist pain. Nine times out of 10, it's coming from the forearm flexors and extensors. That's what I see in practice. People do not know. It's easy to work on themselves. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of giving them a little bit of education. Right. And that's definitely... Um you know, that's what we're all about with Wellness Plus is um, empowering people to work on themselves, to take some responsibility for their health, because we don't have to just accept I'm in pain. We don't have to just accept, um, you know, whether it's back pain, headaches, etc. Um, we really want to educate people on um all of the different things that they can do to help improve that situation. Because clearly, um, these are problems that are inevitable for most of us. At some point in our life, we're going to struggle with some kind of pain or headaches or whatever it might be. Um, so I just really want to thank you so much for um, creating the yoga massage course where you taught a lot of different techniques of how people can work on themselves or work on a friend um, and just all of the different tutorials you've made over the years, both teaching massage therapists, but also just teaching the average person how to work on themselves and take care of their bodies to hopefully keep themselves uh, off of the pain scale altogether. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's lots of empowering and education uh, left to do, but I'm not getting uh, any younger and uh, <laughs> I get more resources to be able to go out and educate. So it's good. It, it feels nice to be able to help people. And I know that fundamentally, that's why um, I've worked so well with Psyche Truth over time was we kind of had the same goals when it came to giving education to the public. Definitely. Well, Robert, I want to thank you so much for joining me here today, and I really look forward to our future podcast together. Thank you so much. Thank you all so much for listening. Hope you have enjoyed this edition of the Wellness Plus podcast. You can find video versions of these podcasts on wellnessplus.tv. And for those of you that are already watching, thank you so much for being here, and we'll see you in the next video.
The Wellness Plus Podcast. Copyright 2018. Target Public Media, LLC. All rights reserved.